I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm in conversation with Shalita Tillman, CalWORKs and Workforce Development Department Manager on the campus of San Bernardino Valley College. Shalita talks about the CalWORKs program's mission to help individuals who receive cash aid achieve their educational and career goals. We'll hear who qualifies for the program and the services they provide, including their professional clothing closet, of which I have to admit I was so happy to donate and provide bags of outfits that I hope students will wear to nail that job interview or have professional clothing for their work. Also on today's show, I had the opportunity to get out of the studio and head down the road to the city of Temecula. I spoke with two parents whose daughter's artwork is on display at the Merck Gallery in Temecula. Temecula is a city I don't often get to visit, but I know we have many listeners in the area. Sydney Edmond is an award-winning artist who has autism and apraxia. Her exhibit at the Merck is called Passionate Voices and represents people who are passionate about their culture, politics, and humanity. Sydney's exhibit will be available for viewing until January 29th. We'll learn more about Sydney and her exhibit later in the show. But up first, it's my conversation with Shalita Tillman, CalWORKs and Workforce Development Department Manager on the campus of San Bernardino Valley College. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So first, share what the CalWORKs program is and its mission. So our CalWORKs program, it's a program that's been developed by Assembly Bill AB 1542 um, back during the Clinton administration to assist individuals receiving cash aid from the county go from being on welfare to getting into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And so our mission in our CalWORKs department is to provide educational opportunities and also career opportunities to assist individuals with getting into the workforce and having a better quality of life. Okay, so give me some examples of uh, maybe the work that they might do or the work that's involved. Or do they work here on the campus and that's part of CalWORKs or do you send them out to businesses in the community? So we do both. So we have a CalWORKs work-study program where our program will reimburse our employers 75% of what they compensate our students. And that also is the same if they're placed on campus. So we have students that are working on campus that can work up to 32 hours a week. And then we have students that work off campus that can work up to 32 hours a week. And then the industry's vary. But we try to place students in an area that's based on their educational studies. So say, for instance, I was going to school to be a child development teacher. Then we're going to look to place that student into a child care facility or something that's dealing with that industry so they can get that hands-on while they're going to school. So once they're done with school, they can put that on their resume that they have that hands-on skill along with their certificate and or degree. Well, that makes sense. Now, are they students here? Do they have to be full-time students, part-time students? How does that work? Based that they can work up to 32 hours, what's the rules there? So they can actually be a part-time student. And we also look at students um, on a case-by-case basis because we understand that life happens. So we don't want to overwhelm the student with 
um, the educational piece and we don't want to overwhelm them with the, the work study piece. So we work with that student to help find the balance because there's some students that do well, they can work 32 hours a week and carry a full load, whereas to other students, they may not be able to do so. So we work with them on a case-by-case -case basis to make sure that we can find the appropriate balance so that way they can be successful. Hmm, very good. Now, are there other programs like this on other campuses? So there are other CalWORKs programs on other campuses throughout the state of California. Um, some of our programs, we run them a little differently, and it's going to be based on our environments and our culture of the students that we're working with. But we do learn from one another. We do have an annual conference where it brings all of our CalWORKs programs together throughout the state, and we share ideas and best practices with one another. Yeah, best practices are always nice. I like going to a conference and taking an idea. And it's not stealing it. That's why you're there, right? You get these great ideas and you take them back home and you implement them. Exactly. All right. So tell me some of the services that your office offers. So some of the services that we offer... We have our own counseling department, so our students are able to see academic counselors without having to wait to get an appointment. We can get them in right away. We also provide child care services, and what happens with that is the student can select the child care provider of their choice. We'll just cover the cost of it based on the regional market rate for that particular city or county, sure. and we also provide gas cards monthly gas cards. We provide um, clothing cards to TJ Maxx for our students that are working to help them buy professional attire. We also provide um, job placement. We provide free printers and ink. We have a small little uh, uh, computer lab where students can come in. If they have to do um, print out some homework, they can come and print for free. We cover the cost of books, supplies, um, almost anything to help that student get across or get past any challenges or barriers when it comes to their educational piece. And we also partner with many community partners. So if we're unable to provide them with the assistance that they may need, then we can refer them to one of our community partners. Wow, that's terrific. You cover a lot of things. Now, are students made aware when they register of your services, or how do the students know about you, or are you a, a best-kept secret? Um, sometimes we feel like we're a best-kept secret. However, we do get out into the community ourselves. We get out, we do in-reach and outreach. So that's what we work with our partners here on campus, our different departments, um, and share information, attend different resource fair we have on campus, and then we also attend different events out in the community. Um, we share our information with our community partners um, to let them know that we have these different services that are available to their clients. So we're constantly busy out there in the community and here on campus, spreading the word about the great services that students can receive from the department. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is because I work on the campus of San Bernardino Valley College as well, as that's where the home of KVCR. But you send out flyers or emails all the time, and one time it's about diapers, one time it's about something else. There's so many things that you send out. So are those, like for the diapers, for instance, is that something that the students can have access to, or is that one of your partners? How does that work? So both. We have a partner where we were able to actually obtain diapers and wipes, and we were able to hand them out to um, 
students of the general population, not just students that were enrolled in programs in this department. And then we also have community partners that will come on campus um, due to the lack of space that we have. They'll be able to come and provide those services to the general populations of, of students, not just students enrolled in our particular programs. Oh, very good. So you're really supporting the community. All right. Now, I want to talk about the the thing that really got me excited was the clothing. You have a like a clothing area. I know you talked about gift cards and going to TJ Maxx or some of the other places, but you have clothes in your office. Tell me about that program. So that particular program came about, we get a lot of students that don't qualify for services in our department or other programs on campus. And so our team came together and we started to see different areas that would be willing to to donate professional clothing for students because we see that there was a need. So then I started reaching out to our staff members within our district, and then also I started reaching out to community partners um, to see how they work and if they would not mind uh, donating some professional clothing. Then also I started connecting with dry cleaners. As I know, there's times that they have clothing that people don't pick up, and so I wanted to know if we as a community college would be able to take advantage of taking those clothing off of their hands and making it available to our students who are in need. Wow, that was really smart of the dry cleaners. Way to go, Shalita. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, now, so now the clothes are used, uh, gently used clothes that can be repurposed over maybe they're interviewing somewhere or trying to get a job. They want to look professional. Is that what it is? Yes. So we have gently worn, and some of the clothing is brand new. Some of the shoes are brand new and accessories are brand new. And students, um, the general population is open to all students. They are welcome to come to the office Monday through Thursday between 9 and 2. And they can go in there and look through the clothing and get whatever their heart desires for their interview. Or say, for instance, they need a couple of outfits to carry them through to the end of the week until they get their paycheck. Um, We've even had some students that were going to conferences and they didn't have any professional attire to wear to a conference. And so they were able to take advantage of using the clothing closet for that as well. Oh, I love it. Okay. Now, the very last thing I want to ask is how does a student qualify? Who is eligible to take advantages of the services you're providing? So our office is open to any and everyone. Um, And the reason why it's open to any and everyone, because we have multiple programs that people may qualify for. And if we don't have the program, then we refer them to another area that may be able to assist them. And we don't want them to miss out on our opportunity by thinking that they don't qualify. And our clothing closet is open to all students. There's, there's no criteria for that whatsoever. Well, I'll take that back. The only criteria is that you have a need. So if you have a need, you are more than welcome to come over and utilize the clothing closet. But for our other generalized or specialized programs, we ask students to come on over so that way we can actually identify and see if you qualify for one of the programs because we don't want them to miss out on an opportunity by thinking that they may not qualify. Well, how wonderful. And the last thing I want to ask you is, let's say myself, I have some clothes in my office. I'm going to come deliver them right after we get off this interview. But what if people want to give some or maybe have some? Or are you just taking them from people here on campus? What about the donations? Because it could be overwhelming if too many people brought so much stuff. But how is that? how does that handle or how do you process that? 
So the way that we work with that, and I'll give you an example. One of our partners from the child support division, they gave us 500 pieces of clothing. Wow. And so we actually took time and we go through each item hand by hand, one by one, making sure that the clothing is suitable, that it's clean, that there's no rips or tears, that it's not stained before we even put it on the rack. And we also make sure that um, we sanitize them. We have clothing sanitizer that we use on our clothing. And, and we, also, we welcome donations from our district employees, and we also welcome donations from our community partners as well. Lovely. Shalita, it's been a joy speaking with you. Thank you so much for serving our students and the community the way you are. Oh, thank you, and I appreciate you having me today. To learn more about CalWORKs program at San Bernardino Valley College, visit our website at kvcinews.org slash lifestyles and click on today's show. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We need to take a quick break, and when we return, I'm getting out of the studio and heading down the road to the gallery at the Merck in Temecula to speak with the parents of Sydney Edmonds, an artist on the autism spectrum, whose art exhibit is available for viewing this month. We'll hear how she discovered her love for art, how she communicates, and the story behind her paintings. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. If you're just joining us, my guest now is Lisa Edmond, mother of artist Sydney Edmond, whose artwork is on display at the Gallery at the Merck in Temecula. Sydney is an artist with autism whose exhibit, Passionate Voices, is a collection of her art which tells more than one story. I stepped out of the studio and attended her artist reception earlier this month to view Sydney's artwork in person. In my conversation with her mother, Lisa, she explained how Sydney got started where her inspiration comes from, and how Sydney, who is nonverbal, communicates not only through her art, but also with the help of a program called Proloquo for Text, which speaks aloud for her. When you look at Sydney's work that you've been watching for many years, tell me about where she started from to where she is now. She was about 21, so about nine years ago. Uh, we went to a, an art museum, and she was just so inspired that when we came home she spelled it she wanted to try painting on her own and uh, so I happened to have some children's watercolors and paper around the house and she painted a tree and it was remarkable enough that I thought wait a minute there's something here so we kept at it and it just she just kept showing me how she had this talent with color and texture and was really mesmerizing for me so over the years you know she switched from watercolor to acrylic, and, and that brought new dimensions to her work. And, you know, she just developed and developed and developed as an artist. How does she pick her topics or what her subjects are going to be? And do you always know what they're going to be? No, no. She tells me what she wants to paint. Um, it's always her. Where do you think she gets her inspiration for her different pieces? Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's dance. She's doing a series of paintings right now on um, Maiko's, who are apprentice geishas, because she was very mesmerized by the geishas and how they dance and sing and, and um, perform. So she just, when she gets excited about something, she wants to express her, her feelings onto canvas. 
and she's nonverbal. So how does she communicate? She learned when she was 10 years old how to point to letters on a letter board to spell what she wanted to say. And then eventually we got um, devices that had a keyboard on it so she could type. And then we got devices where when she typed, it would speak what she typed, which she absolutely loved. And the program that we have now, she even was able to choose selective voice that she liked from a, uh, you know, a combination of voices. So um, that's how she communicates. And what voice does she have options for? Do they sometimes are male or female, have an accent? What voice did she hear that she liked? The one that she chose is actually Australian. Her name is Olivia. And actually, it's a young girl, but she doesn't sound like a baby or anything like that. She just has a youthful voice, and that's the one that she really was drawn to. Now, this is a more difficult question because I'm asking you to know more about uh, Sydney when you, when you answer this, but what do you think is going on in her head right now? And is she overwhelmed? Is she happy? Where do you think she is in this reception? Well, she, actually, somebody just asked her that, and she typed that she was very pleased to see that people like her work. She's, she's just so happy to see that people like it. She loves painting. She really doesn't. Uh, she's not big on selling her work unless somebody commissions something. When she paints something, it's almost like a child to her, so she wants to keep it. But when she sees people to get something out of her work, it really means a lot to her. She also, one of her big driving forces when she exhibits is to show people that people with autism have a lot more depth than a lot of people think. That, um, you know, she, she has a lot to say. She has a lot of talent. She's intelligent. And, um, you know, it's just that they need to look deeper when they meet people who have autism and see what's, what's inside them and not just by their actions, their physical actions. I heard you in the reception area telling a guest that sometimes she'll paint one stroke and she's done. So tell me how her, maybe how long her artwork does take and the variation that that might look like. Right. Yeah, it, it varies all the time. Like I say, some days she just takes a lot of breaks. And I don't know if it's because she's really excited or maybe she's just tired that day. But she'll come in and do one or two brush strokes, go in her room and just lay down for a couple minutes, come back, do a few more brush strokes. And then other days she'll paint, you know, straight through and um, get a lot done. <laughs> Does she always like her work when she's done? I think so. I think so. Do you think she has favorites? I think she loves them all. Right now she's very excited about the Mako paintings, but that's probably because those are the ones she's working on. She just told me right now, you know, she wants to get going on another Mako painting because she's telling a story with her paintings, so she's excited about completing it. And how did the opportunity for Sydney to present here come about? The city asked her. She used to come and uh, show her work at Art Off the Walls. That was the first time she ever presented her work to the public. Was, right here at Art Off the Walls with other local artists. And they got to know her because it's a city event and saw her work. And then they started asking her if she would exhibit her work like at the libraries. And she's, this is her second time exhibiting here at the gallery. And yeah. Well, at the gallery, I had the opportunity to speak with Richard Edmund, Sydney's father. He spoke of Sydney's spirit, which he sees reflected in her art pieces. And I had to ask if he has a favorite piece, which we all know is a difficult question to answer. So tell me when you see her artwork on a wall, 
what it does for you or what it means to you? Well, what it means to me is, uh, it well, it means a lot of things. I mean, it shows to me, I get her spirit from her art, you know, because I think due to the fact that she's, she's nonverbal autistic, and so it's hard for her, I think, to um, find a more normal ways to express herself and show her true self and the only way she's really able to do that is through art and when I look at her art I become very very um, boy I don't know the right word I just I, I become very uh, aware of her spirit even though I know it's there anyhow but it really comes out do you have any art skills or where do you think she picked I it up have, I have no art skills but I have siblings like my sister that is an amazing artist and uh, my older brother is actually a very skilled technical illustrator. I don't have, that's the thing about genetics, right? Yeah, I mean, I have two siblings that are wonderful in that respect, and I don't have any of that talent at all. How do you communicate with Sydney? We communicate on the letter board, just like she does with her mother. Her mother and her have an amazing connection in terms of their ability to communicate. I'd be lying if I said that Sydney are, are able to communicate like she does with her mother. But we do communicate, and uh, sometimes, I mean, we can communicate without words a lot of times just because, you know, we know each other so well. And do you have a favorite piece in there? Oh, that's such a tough question. Um, Oh, that's so hard. I hate to pick one. The, the Mako, the one uh, on the very on the very end with the bluebird, I think is really an amazing. I think that's an amazing piece of art. I really do. I think that holds up with, you know, anybody's art. You know, I mean, when you look at that one, it's really it fills me with pride when I see that one. Yeah, all of them do. I don't want to make it sound like they don't, but there's that one is amazing. Sydney's artwork tells a story, and each piece represents a specific chapter along a timeline of progression and change. This is how Sydney describes her paintings. In this world, there are many values and voices. My paintings represent people who are passionate about the things they love or value. They represent particularly difficult times and the passion, the urgency that was necessary to get through them. I choose to paint people who are passionate about their culture, their art, their politics, and humanity. Here again is Sydney's mother, Lisa, who shares more about the story of her paintings that are part of the exhibit, Passionate Voices. So what she's doing is she's, she's painting a story. Rather than writing a story, she's painting a story. The first painting here is a picture of a little girl named Mai who sees a Maiko, an apprentice geisha, for the first time as a child. And the bird that is flying into the painting is her dream. She suddenly has this dream of when she grows up, she wants to be a Maiko. So the next painting is her as a teenager. She's with her best friend Suzuki, and they're growing up. The next painting is her with a Oni-san, uh, older sister. Uh, she's already gone to train to become a Maiko, and the Oni-san is kind of watching over her and uh, counseling her. Uh, the next painting is her with her first performance, her first dance performance. She's very nervous and shy. This is just why she's holding a fan in front of her face. She takes on the name of Kotori, which means little bird. Um, and she, you can see in this painting here, when she's just beginning, she's still reaching for the dream, the little bird, of becoming a Maiko. 
So she has her first performance. Now she's learning how to play the shamisen. Um, the next painting is her with other Maikos doing her first big performance. In the last painting, she's finally reached her dream. She's there with her little bird on the ground together. Of course, Sydney was there along with us as we viewed her beautiful artwork on display at the Merck. She used her Proloquo for text device to say hello to me. Sydney's artwork will be on display until January 29th at the gallery at the Merck in Temecula. To learn more about Sydney Edmund and her art, or to see some images taken of her artwork, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. January 19th is National Popcorn Day. Who comes up with these ideas? Well, either way, here's KVCR's Sharina Wad and KVCR staff members sharing some history about popcorn and why it's a great snack worthy of its own day of recognition. Popcorn dates back thousands of years with some of the oldest discoveries found in the Batcave in New Mexico. In the 16th century, the Aztecs used popcorn as decoration for ceremonial headdresses, necklaces, ornaments, and used to honor their gods, including Tlaloc, the god of rain and fertility. Fast forward a few hundred years, and popcorn started becoming very popular in the United States, thanks to candy store owner Charles Creter's invention of a machine for popping corn with steam, and later, horse-drawn popcorn wagons. During the Great Depression, popcorn sales boomed. At five to 10 cents a bag, popcorn was one of the few luxuries families could afford. In addition, this is also when popcorn was introduced into movie theaters. While other businesses failed, the popcorn business thrived. Today, Americans consume 13 billion quarts of popcorn a year. Here at KVCR, you might catch the scent of freshly popped buttery popcorn on any given day. We have some big fans of the time-honored snack. Here's what they had to say about popcorn. Ben Holland, KVCR's program director for television, said he loves popcorn because, quote, it's just an endless snack. You can munch on it all day, and there's a massive variety of flavors. There's air-popped popcorn all the way to super buttery movie theater popcorn that's bad for you. Our FNX and Create Traffic Coordinator, Jessica Alatore, said, Theater popcorn tastes so much better than microwave popcorn. My favorite thing to do is go to the movies and get the biggest tub of popcorn and a cold soda. And our engineer, Sal Castillo, raved about kettle corn. He said, it's the best, the sweetest and saltiest of all popcorn. I could just eat it forever. I'm a sucker for kettle corn, especially the freshly made ones that they have at the fair that are nice and warm. I don't want the ready-made bags that are hanging up. I'll wait for the fresh batch. Well, you heard it here first. Grab yourself a delicious bag or bucket of popcorn, put on a movie, and drift away on an ultra-buttery, cheesy, or sweet cloud of popped goodness. For Lifestyles, I'm Sharina Watt. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 919lifestyles and search for Lifestyles with Lillian on Instagram. And I have to say, this is my New Year's resolution. I'm going to try really hard to start posting 
on a weekly basis. Definitely can't do it on a daily basis, but it's a start. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, Natasha Coles, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Life Sales with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now. Yeah, the simple.